welcome again to another episode in the Rootkit Podcast. Uh, this episode, we have the privilege of hosting a friend of ours and also the host of Sorry You're Here with Paul Acosta. Now, Paul Acosta has been a friend of ours since the beginning of the COVID pandemic. Um, you know, circumstances just kind of allowed that we all were working together at the same grocery store. And so it's actually pretty cool to see that, um, you know, uh, him and I and Tate have kind of always had these dreams, you know, going back a few years. And it's kind of cool to see that circumstances aligned. We all came together and now we're great friends. We have great relationships and we're all pushing each other towards the goals. And as you'll see, um, even having different, different political viewpoints, different outlooks on life, very different life experiences. Um, but it's so cool and it's so beautiful, um, the relationships that we have and the relationships that we create. And that's definitely something that uh, we want to be able to share with you guys. And so if you enjoyed this podcast and even beforehand, just give it a, a five-star review. It helps us with the algorithm and also share this with your, your family and your friends and people that you think would enjoy uh, hearing this conversation that we have with Paul. Mm-hmm. And uh, to stay up to date with all of our episodes, everything that we've got going on, you can always visit us at www.therootkitpodcast.com. So give us five stars, visit us at www.therootkitpodcast.com. Hope you enjoy this episode. everybody to the rootkit podcast um today joining tate and i is paul acosta from the sorry you're here podcast um we're going to be talking a little about a little bit about um some of the recent events going on in his life and we're also going to um a little bit further in the episode we're going to be talking um about politics so it might get a little dicey uh, but it should be fun it's going to be um you know good-hearted and everything um paul how are you doing today I'm doing good, man. I'm doing good. How are you guys doing today? Oh, doing well. Um, been excited for this. We've been anticipating this um, ever since we knew that we were going to be bringing you on since not only we know you from actual life, but that, again, your your podcast and it starting up that we've been excited to have you on. Yeah, it's been nothing but a joy. Absolutely. Yeah, I've been looking forward to this for a while now, so it's definitely exciting to be at this point now. Mm-hmm. In terms of exciting things, you just recently got married. So, I mean, that's like a, that's a really big milestone in your life. Well, like, what do you think about it? Uh, you know, um, yeah, I got married to my, my wife, my now wife. Uh, we've been together for about 12 and a half years now, um, as, as a couple engaged for seven of those. And we finally decided that, uh, it was a good time to go ahead and get married. Um, you know, there's no time like the present really is what they say. Yeah. It's unfortunate the circumstances surrounding it with the, you know, current COVID regulations and restrictions mm-hmm. on mm-hmm. the gatherings, yeah. but, um, we are definitely looking forward to having a big reception once it's safer for us to, once it's deemed, you know, safer for us to be around our family and friends again in large groups. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So did you just have like a tiny, like civil ceremony or like, what was it like? Uh, yeah, so we, uh, it's actually a, a pretty easy thing to get married nowadays, apparently. Um, as long as you've got the money, you're good to go. 
so we went down to the county clerk's office in Williamson County in Georgetown, Texas, um, mm-hmm. paid $80 for our marriage license and the application and everything. Uh, at the end of the day, it was 80 and then it was 150 uh, We had to wait 72 hours for getting that marriage license and then paid $150 for a local judge to do the ceremony. And uh, we are about a week away from getting our signed and sealed marriage license uh, back from the courthouses. Oh, yeah. That's exciting, man. That's exciting. Like a new chapter. Okay, go ahead. I just have to say congratulations. I got to meet her um, a couple times and she's a gem. She really is. So I see why that you guys wanted to tie it off. So. Yeah, she's great. She's she's uh, she's my rock. I, I don't think I would have finished college or been where I am today without her, to be honest. So I'm um, definitely thankful for her. That's awesome. Yeah, no, I, I know that whenever we were working together, you said nothing but good things about her. And I kind of envied y'all's relationship and everything <laughs> like that. So, um, you know, I know that our job was a, a bit stressful at times, I think you could say. Um, and, um, you know, that's awesome that you're always able to lean on her and everything. So when did that relationship start and like, what did it look like then? And what has it kind of morphed into? Um, so the relationship started back in 2008. Uh, I was a, let's see. Yeah. I think it was about a sophomore. She was a freshman. We had already known each other for a few years. They, uh, her and her stepmom, or her and her stepdad, her mom, and her two stepsisters had moved across the street from my family's house back in a block house where my parents mm-hmm. still live. Um, we got to know each other pretty well. We became pretty good friends. I was in a relationship at the time, uh, but you know it wasn't like a serious thing at all. Uh, ended up breaking that off and. Um, we just kind of, it was almost like a seamless, natural move from just being friends to, um, I guess, uh, you know, people my age might start saying going steady, um, <laughs> basically started going steady with each other. Uh, about a year later, it was the promise ring stage. Um, four years later, it was the engagement ring stage. And I really wanted to get married on our actual, you know, engagement anniversary, um, partially because... I thought that would be pretty symbolic, but also because, you know, one date is easier to remember than two. (laughs) But, uh, yeah, it's all felt really seamless. Um, There hasn't really been a struggle. I mean, obviously, any relationship, um, you know, you run into issues, especially when you're as young as we were, uh, both going through high school together, two separate high schools, drama and um, odd situations and you know, little, little, little hiccups. Um, yeah. Yeah. With her, it was pretty easy to, you know, trudge through that. And, um, I think we both came out on the other side, uh, codependent upon each other. Mm-hmm. Hmm. You know, I was even thinking like during this, uh, season with COVID, like how's it been having someone that you can do life alongside in the midst of even just the, the hardship of even just the, the whole lockdown phase? Like, how's that been? Can you imagine yourself being on the other side and not having anybody? So uh, for the most part, we have been together, especially whenever I was there in Denton up until about June. Um, but then for about three months, starting in September up until early December, she was actually finishing off her last round of clinicals in Colorado um, mm-hmm. while I was still in Leander. I was working at the bar with, uh, for her mother and for her mom. Um and then I was also in the process of transitioning to a new job at Procore here in Austin. Um, and let me tell you, that was tough, but it really made me thankful for mm. having her the other times mm-hmm. throughout this whole process. Um, yeah. One, because sure. 
you know, our household is um, controlled chaos with the animals that we have here. Um, and she, you know, it, it's very hard for one person to do. So having two people here makes it a lot easier. It's given me a newfound appreciation for what she does for the not so conventional pets, um, for the snakes and the mm-hmm. bird and stuff, because I was responsible for those for three months. Uh, and, you know, I say that in terms of just making sure they were still alive when she got back. Um <laughs> But it gives me a newfound respect for some of the stuff that she's had to deal with that I didn't have to deal with. And I think, um, you know, it's odd. The lockdown actually, I feel, could have could have put a dent in any relationship. But I think, um, not to brag, but I think we came out a little, we've come out a little bit stronger um, through COVID diagnoses on either side of the family, mm-hmm. um, through other struggles. She's really, you know, she's right at the finish line for grad school and getting licensed. I've changed jobs twice in this lockdown now. We've moved once. She's moved twice, three mm-hmm. times, I believe. Um, so, Damn. you know, it's made us stronger, I think, as a couple because we're both able to kind of be here for each other yeah. um, and kind of lean on each other. But we're also pretty good at maintaining our independence. Um, right now, she's in the other, she's down the hallway in her office studying for her boards. I'm over here, um, you know, talking to you guys today and, um, we, we kind of value the separate time that we have together, but we it's cool knowing that we can come together, you know, to watch a TV show together, watch a movie, go for a walk with the dogs. You know, I think we have things that help us stay sane together and we mm-hmm. help each other mm-hmm. stay sane throughout the process. Yeah. I really liked um, one of the things that you said, you know, in terms of, um, you know, these tough times or like the tough times actually making y'all stronger. And mm-hmm. not only like with po- probably the drama that happened before, but also whenever, you know, crap hits the fan for everybody. Mm-hmm. And um, so there's actually this idea. Um, it actually it's actually like more of a biblical idea. I think it's in like Job and stuff like that. But there's mm-hmm. this idea of um, contending with one another. It's this idea that, you know, iron sharpens iron and that if you find a partner or someone and this goes for friendships and relationships and everything else is uh, um, if you find someone to contend with, then you both get better together and become better mm-hmm. people together. Um, would mm-hmm. you say that that's definitely been one of the themes in y'all's like, um, you know, pretty long relationship and something that you want to continue on into y'all's marriage? Absolutely. Um, that's It's actually funny you mentioned that. That's one of my favorite quotes, uh, which I actually got from a gym that I used to work out at. It's uh, just oh, as really? iron sharpens iron, so too does one man sharpen another. Mm-hmm. Um, and they say man, you know, more in the broad sense of humanity, of course, but um that's, that's one of my favorite quotes to live by, and I think that that's a valuable thing to remember, not only in uh, these romantic relationships like the one that I have, but in relationships with friends and family. Mm-hmm. Um, that's something to really value, is the ability to sharpen one another mentally. And, um, you know, like I used to work out with some friends, uh, you know, we challenge each other. So, you know, you challenge each other physically. Mm-hmm. You challenge each other mentally. You challenge each other socially. Um, and I think that's that's something that I and my wife have brought into our relationship together yeah, um, and that we value very much is the fact that we're able to do that for each other and with each other. Yeah, absolutely. And like another thing is that like, you know, most people, whenever they hear the iron sharpens iron, iron, they kind of think of like, you know, the warrior mentality or like, you know, mm-hmm. um, being part of like a team or like, you know, like whether it be baseball or football or whatever else, like you said, it, you, you saw it in a gym, but mm-hmm. it actually like whatever you put it in terms of like relationships, it actually requires a very high level amount of vulnerability 
with one another in order to actually do that. Because if you're not, if you don't allow the iron to sharpen yourself, you're not going to sharpen them either. And then they're going to like, you know, up and leave and stuff like that. Right. So. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. No, you have to open yourself to the opportunity. You have to be welcoming of the chance to do that for another person. It's not really mm. so much about competition in my opinion, but it's more about um, cooperation. Right. Yes. Yeah. Is, is more the way I look at it for sure. Yeah. I couldn't agree more. Yeah. So that's where the vulnerability comes in as opposed to maybe like that competition or the, you know, it's contending, but in a different way, if yeah. that makes sense. Definitely yeah. a different sense of the term. Contending. Yeah. So what are some of the hopes that you have down the road? Like, um, building a family, like any kids, anything like that, or you two just happy as y'all are? Um, you know, we, we are planners, but more in a broad term of things, you know, we have mm-hmm. plans for the ability to pay off our loans, you know, plans in place for that. We have plans in place of buying a house, plans in place of where we want to live someday. Um, but you know, it's kind of hard to plan for something that you can't really see in my opinion. And that's another way we kind of live, um, yeah. we plan as much as we can. But we definitely open ourselves up to the fluidity, um, you know, like moving to Austin. We weren't planning on being here for another six months to a year. Mm-hmm. Um, we had to open ourselves to the idea of that happening. We've, we've always been like that. So it's hard for me to state really what I have planned as far as our future. You know, I would love to maybe have a little kid down the line. Or um, one thing we're big fans of is fostering we fostered about 200 dogs through the uh, south plains spca when we were living in lubbock oh, wow. and we love the opportunity to foster a child someday um once we feel more steady and possibly even foster to adopt a child as a couple of uh, friends of mine have done before hmm. um you know really get to know a kid let them get to know you and find out if a home is the right place for them but as far as any other plans for our relationship you know we just plan on doing what we can to take care of our pets, however annoying they are, um, doing whatever we can to take care of our house and uh, doing whatever we can to take care of our families, you know, our parents and our siblings, helping them out as much as we can. And um, most importantly, doing whatever we can to take care of each other, uh, mm. just kind of furthering each other's success, motivating each other to do more and to want more and to get more out mm-hmm. of uh, what we do with our lives. That's our big plan in our relationship. That's so awesome. So this is Paul Acosta with uh, Sorry You're Here podcast for those that um, are, again, tuning in and uh, again, the reference that we just stated at the very beginning, he's got his own podcast. And so like, what are your, um, again, just what's the theme of your podcast that you've been pushing with your um, your podcast there? What are some of the things that you've been enjoying doing and also some of the technical sides that you like? Um, so sorry you're here has been in the early stages for years, if I'm being quite frank. Um, years ago, I made a failed attempt at getting a YouTube channel off the ground, almost like a vlog. Um, but it really stems from how much I enjoy talking about, uh, TV shows and movies and music and video games and just general entertainment, uh, media for consumption of the general public. Yeah, uh, you know, um, that's what really birthed Sorry You're Here, in my opinion. And that's something that I've really enjoyed is the opportunity to get to talk about it. And um, for the people that do listen, for them to be able to hear, you know, my thoughts, because a lot of the stuff I talk about isn't really breaking news um, necessarily by the time I get to recording it. 
mm-hmm. but I like to talk about things with people, about our opinions on TV shows and movies mm-hmm. with other people. Um, and, you know, that's something that I enjoy about my podcast. Can you guys, one minute. I'm going to do this real quick. All right. You're good. One so that's even like a fun idea of you know, not just for like the t- entertainment aspect, but even just like the, um, again, finding things that have like simple entertainment, like mutual, like for people on a large scale to be able to come together and communicate and yeah. talk about yeah. mutually. Yeah, yeah. One of the things that I've enjoyed quite a bit now is discussing the consumption of entertainment media um, in the current geopolitical climate, what with, uh, you know, the pandemic going on and everything and people's mm-hmm. ease of access to those things. That's something that I've really enjoyed because as someone who maybe has to consider the level of access I grant myself, fiscally speaking, to be able to consume certain entertainment media, um, mm-hmm. it's, it's fun for me to really get into it and talk about whether or not people are able to access different movies or TV shows you know mm-hmm. what what their level of access is on that that's something that i'm really enjoying getting into but i think more than anything i'm excited about the fact that there is more to talk about now um the last two weeks have birthed some great news on the front of comic book movies and tv mm-hmm. shows um entertainment movies coming out in general uh, streaming services are now producing their own TV shows and movies to put out while cinemas nationwide are closed. Um, mm-hmm. So it's definitely opened the opportunity for me to ex- branch out from shorter 15-minute podcasts to these longer 30 to 50-minute podcasts, which I have a lot of fun with because, you know, I'm in a lockdown. I don't get to talk about this stuff with a lot of people very often. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. So it's fun for me to get to go out there um, and put my thoughts out there and, you know, share my opinions. One of the things I discussed recently was the AFC NFC uh, football or, you know, the Kansas city, uh, Cleveland mm-hmm. Browns football game. With Go bills. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh no. It starts. Um, and then of course, I had to. Uh, James Harden's tumultuous trade yeah. to the Brooklyn. Yeah. Nets, um, almost a betrayal to Houston but not to himself. And that's something that I think is really fun to analyze is the fact that, you know, as a Houston Rockets fan, and I'm not really a fan per se, but as a, as a person who enjoys watching them play and who enjoyed watching James Harden do what he did with the Rockets, mm-hmm. it hurt to see him leave. But you look at the man now after one game with the Nets, um, after that move, even knowing he's going to be paying so much more in taxes on the trade deal, yeah, he's happy. Um, mm-hmm. And he has the opportunity to excel now as an athlete to an even higher standard. Yeah. Um, and I think that, if anything, he may have betrayed Houston, but I think he, at his core, is thankful to the city of Houston for giving him the opportunity to grow as a player. And that's, you know, it's things like that. Things like that that I really enjoy getting to discuss on my podcast, getting to get a little more analytical with the plays that movie studios go into, the mm-hmm. plays that... Um, athletes go into just in general i enjoy getting to get analytical there's something new that i'm going to be talking about on my podcast uh, some news that came out recently and i'm going to be analyzing the announcement of the two actors chosen to play um a key role in a prequel film that's going to be coming out sometime in 2022 i believe Mm. Ooh, very interesting very interesting so i actually want to ask you two questions well actually i kind of want to go three 
kind of different directions with this. Um, mm -hmm. So I'll just start out with the first one. Um, what are some of what are some of the uh, media and entertainment or TV shows or like the media that you're looking forward to that's coming out and also that you're excited about like right now that maybe already is up? One of the big things that comes to the forefront of my mind right now is the series WandaVision uh, from Disney Plus and the MCU. Mm -hmm. um, the first piece of MCU entertainment media to come out since Spider-Man Far From Home over a year ago now. Um, COVID having put a major halt to filming and production of a lot of the stuff that they had planned for this year and, mm -hmm. and, and 2020. Um, that's one of the big things that comes to my mind that I'm excited about because it is an ongoing release stage. Um, we actually are set to get a new episode, I believe in about five days. Um, the first two episodes were released. And as a fan, it's been a ton of fun to watch. But the analytical side of me is having a very tough time because they're playing their cards really close to their chest with these first two episodes that they've put out. Mm -hmm. um, they're giving the fans just enough to satiate the appetite for, you know, live action comic book media, but mm -hmm. not giving them enough to fill them up. They know yeah. what they're doing. They're playing it smart. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, ben Affleck said it best in his interview about a week ago. He called Kevin Feige the best effing producer in the world because he knows what his fans want and he gives it to them. Um, mm. I couldn't have said it better myself. Uh, you know, it, that's, that's one of the big things that excites me. That's out right now, as far as things to come. Well, we've got two Tom Holland projects coming out. One with the MCU, the Spider-Man three. Um, mm -hmm. and of course there's a new film he did with the Russo brothers called cherry. Uh, he plays a bank robber, is my understanding, but they've been they've been playing that one close to their chest as well as the Russo brothers do and have done with the MCU. They they don't release a whole lot. They let fans speculate quite a bit. Mm -hmm. um, but my theory is that it's going to be a little bit more like his role in the Netflix uh, The Devil All the Time uh, TV, uh, movie that he did, um, where you know he plays this down on his luck Southern kid. Uh, who, by the way, has a great American accent. If you haven't heard him fake an American accent, he does it flawlessly, in my opinion. Um, plays a bank robber in this new movie called Cherry. Uh, Ex-soldier, you know, stuff like that. Um, definitely excited for that to come out soon. And then uh, I, I just I have to keep going back to Marvel. You know, we've got uh, The Falcon and the Winter Soldier coming out later this year. Um, the WandaVision is leading right into Doctor Strange 2, uh, Multiverse of Madness. We've got major casting announcements on Moon Knight, which have uh, come out, which has been released recently. Uh, the series hasn't been, but the casting announcements, you've got Oscar Isaac helming the series as Moon Knight, and Ethan Hawke has signed on now in a mystery role. Um, as I discussed in my previous episode, these are two high-caliber actors, in my opinion, so I'm excited to see how Kevin Feige utilizes their abilities um, after having seen what they've done in the past. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah, those are that's just a little tidbit of some of the stuff that's really got me excited um, entertainment-wise. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, uh, then my other, well, I guess two of my questions, you'd probably know more about this um, than I do. Um, so what's up with the James Harden meme, like with the fat suit going on, going around right now? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it's interesting. Um, so... Some people may have seen some images of James Harden leading up to his his uh, departure from Houston. Right. Um, he definitely looks like he's not taking care of himself. He seems like he might be a little bit out of shape. 
Um, I think that there's some editing going on maybe because I don't think the pictures do as much justice to his actual physique um, because this is still an elite athlete. We saw him in Brooklyn shortly after some of these pictures were released and the dude's slimmed down. He's Mm -hmm. buff. He's cut. He's moving quick. Um, He's got the endurance of a slim trim, you know, basketball player who's playing both ends of the court. So part of me has to think that some of these images that are being released are edited um, and just kind of thrown out there for people to laugh at or to poke fun at because people do love to hit on James Harden because if I'm being honest, he is a bit of an elitist prima donna when it comes to his capabilities. He knows he's good. I think he thinks he's better than he is because he's still got room to grow. But that's my theory. Um, I do think, though, that he was looking a little out of shape there towards the end of the bubble, um, towards the end of his run in the bubble with the Rockets. Uh, and then, of course, coming back whenever the league started back up again on Christmas, he wasn't looking his best. But there's one image that really got a lot of hate and uh, stated that he was in a fat suit. From what I can see, doesn't seem like a fat suit. Definitely seems more like a bit of really quality Photoshop as it played. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. what I'm, that's what it's looking like. Utilizing, yeah. you know, an image that I will grant probably shows James Harden not looking his best. Um, <laughs> yeah. But I mean, I can't blame him in the time of COVID. But also, I can understand uh, as he's um, leaving, some people might be trolling him or whatever else. So. Yeah. Well, and you know, it's. <laughs> It, it's it's kind of hard to hide the fact that he definitely enjoys hitting the strip clubs and the uh, all-you-can-eat buffets during off-season, so <laughs> I'm sure there was something going on. The, the season <laughs> did start up pretty quick after that bubble run out in Orlando. Um, yeah, so yeah, yeah. Maybe he got a little too, uh, little too into it in that two months' time. All right. Yeah, yeah I, I'd have to agree with you on that. Um, all right, so this coming Sunday... Mm-hmm. Two games, two championships. Who you got? Man. That's Man. a loaded question. It's a loaded question, Samson. I'm not going to lie. Um, I mean, you so, can be rooting for someone, but then expect someone else to win. Um, but, yeah, just... There's a lot in the air right now. Yeah. Um, I don't know if you guys got to watch the full game between Cleveland and Kansas City. Uh, yes. But, of course, one of the shining stars of Kansas City right now took a major hit. Pat Mahomes mm-hmm. is still on the protocol as of today. Yeah. And um, I know that Kansas City's coaching staff want him playing against the Bills. And I think that's an absolute necessity. Um because Buffalo is dangerous this year. Mm-hmm. Buffalo is a dangerous football team for Kansas City uh, because it's, they've it's... really shown out. They've done an excellent job of fighting through the start of the season and finishing strong, mm-hmm. uh, as evidenced by the fact that they are still here. They are <laughs> one game away from the Super Bowl. Um, tensions are, have got to be high, just like they were in Cleveland, although I've just got to go ahead and say it. Baker Mayfield is a little shit. And I have no sympathy for him not being in this. Oh, yeah. That was a Texas Tech game. If I had ever seen one, when yeah. I saw Pat Mahomes facing off against Baker mm-hmm. Mayfield, it was fun to watch. Sad to see that Pat couldn't finish out, you know, really drive the nail into the coffin on mm-hmm. Baker Mayfield. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I got to shout it out to Henny, that backup QB. He hasn't played in yeah. four years in a playoff game, 35 years old. But he got the job done. Um, he held off that defense. He was able to put a couple more points on the board. And then just that 
that nice little finish, the conversion that they had. They almost lost it whenever he threw that interception in the end zone, but they were able to recover the ball, maintain possession all the way to, all the way up to the end of it for him to make that QB kneel. Um, he mm-hmm. definitely saved Kansas City's skins. Mm. The question is if he's going to have to do that for a full game now against Buffalo. Mm-hmm. That worries me. Um, mm-hmm. So as of that matchup, it's all in the air. If Pat Mahomes is playing, I think Buffalo's got to run for their money going. Mm-hmm. If Chad Henney is back in there, I think Buffalo's got a chance at knocking the uh, defending champs out of the running for the Super Bowl. Um, I know it's going to be a close game regardless. I think it's going to come down to a field goal without a doubt. Yeah, yeah. My prediction would probably be uh, generously... 17-22. It's going to be a low-scoring game, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Um, I definitely agree with you there. I don't know if you... Did you see the Bills versus Ravens game? I got to see it uh, just a little bit at the end. Uh, yeah. The Bills definitely did a number in on Lamar Jackson and that offense in Baltimore. Um, mm-hmm. I hurt for Lamar Jackson. He <laughs> is an all-around amazing QB, but he just doesn't have the team to support him right now going up against a Buffalo Bills bloodthirsty playoff run. They are mm. dogs fighting out there, and they're going to get what they need to get out of this playoff run. Yeah. So they they are taking no prisoners. They steamrolled Baltimore, in my opinion. And, you know, if Henny's in, then I think they're going to steamroll Kansas City too. Well, yeah. I mean, the first half, it was it was super close. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I had a – me and two of my buddies from college, we had a – little bit of a pool going on and so i ended up winning 100 bucks because i was the only one who bet on the bills which i was kind of surprised that i was the only one but in my opinion very good call yeah i would have bet on them in that matchup too yeah they i i'm not sure why they thought the ravens were going to win but hey it is what it is i got my money so i'm happy so mm-hmm. i mean who would have thought that the bills would have been a a pass first type of offense where they really don't have a run game, but their defense is so locked down and key situations. It is, it's pretty crazy to think about having like Allen be kind of like the Peyton Manning of literally trying to like, they're just working off of past clutch plays. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's exactly really, what it is. It's yeah. just again, clutch pass plays that in key moments and that, that they've been riding that wave for a while and mm-hmm. it just keeps working for them over and over and over. Oh Yeah. Yeah, no, uh, Allen is playing dangerous, um, you know, and he's just got the perfect receivers. You know, his his link, the, the you know, it, you can be as elite of a quarterback, in my opinion, as you, as you possibly can. You can be the best of the best, but if you don't have the right receivers and the right defenders out there, you mm-hmm. aren't anything. And that's what we're seeing with Lamar Jackson at Baltimore, in my opinion. Allen is out there taking charge and taking advantage of what he's got. He's playing to his receiver's strengths. He's playing mm-hmm. to his defender's strengths, and they're all feeding off of each other. And in my opinion, that has fueled the jet stream that they're riding right now all the way to the finish line. Yeah. As yeah, far as the other side of the coin, mm-hmm. um, definitely sad to see Drew Brees gone. Um, oh, yeah. I'm not a big fan of the guy. But you have to admit that he was one of the last staples of legacy NFL players. Um, you know, after Peyton Manning retired, Drew Brees was it. I mean, it's him and Aaron Rodgers, I guess, in my opinion. Um, not a fan of Tom Brady. <laughs> I hate to see the Buccaneers doing as well as they are. I hate to see it. You know, I just can't get behind it. I can't believe they pulled Gronkowski out of a retirement for one last year. 
Um, I can't believe mm-hmm. Tom Brady's trying to keep his his you know charisma going out there in Florida. I, I have to give it to him. They did a good job playing against him. Um, they earned the win, in my opinion. Drew Brees is just at the end of his rope. The team is at the end of their rope. I think there's going to be a lot of restructuring in New Orleans going on after this during the offseason. Um, but I am excited to see Green Bay and Tampa Bay face off against each other. I think that's going to be a fun one, um, if mm-hmm. I'm being honest. My money's on Tom Brady coming out on top of the Buccaneers. The old man, yes, the old horse. Old man Brady's going to come out <laughs> on top again. I he's, feel it. He's like 40, or is he 41 now? I believe 41. He's he's coming up on being a contender for Brett Favre's title of oldest playing uh, NFL player ever. That's just mm-hmm. crazy. I think it's probably because Belichick babied him over in New England, but, you know. <laughs> I think so, without a doubt. I think he uh, got to Tampa Bay and expected something that wasn't going to happen. Um, Bill gave him the world, uh, and then Tom Brady spit in his face, and, you know, Tampa Bay is it's a no-holds-barred organization, mm-hmm. evidently. Mm-hmm. So here's my take. It's going to be the Buccaneers and the Bills in the Super Bowl. You think so? I think so. I'm definitely intrigued to watch. This and finish then, to the playoffs has been a lot of fun to watch. Yeah. Um, you know, that Kansas City game was hard. I'm happy with the turnout. Um, I, I got to admit, I'm rooting against against Buffalo on that matchup, but I don't know. I think the cards are in y'all's favor without a doubt. And we shall see. Um, this will be released Thursday, so just so you'll know, we those are our predictions. It's out there. It's going to be on the internet, so we will see. Um, we will see. We'll see who's right. <laughs> <laughs> yep. All right, so... Um, you've talked a lot about this geopolitical climate. Mm-hmm. Um, before we get too deep into any one topic or anything, um, what would you say is kind of your dissection of the culture as it is right now? Politically, so, whatever else. I think, um, I think COVID has changed the way we're going to look at the world no matter what whether or not this vaccine completely eradicates the virus um i think regardless we are looking at a whole new world Mm. uh, in 2021 and going forward because a vaccine just means we're going to have to work at this same vaccine annually this virus isn't going anywhere it's proven that it's not a seasonal virus because it maintained an entire year now um Mm. I i believe today is day one of the anniversary of the first infected person. Um, and we also marked 400,000 dead in uh, the U.S. due to COVID, of course, or, mm-hmm. of course, COVID-related symptomology. Um, you know, I will grant that. But regardless of what you think, I think COVID has changed the way we need to look at the world going forward. I think it's unfortunate for a lot of people, but I think masks are going to be a big part of mm-hmm. our future. Um, especially in sensitive areas, you know, I think maybe the restrictions on visiting loved ones and skilled nursing facilities might, might eventually get lifted. Um, but I think masks are going to be definitely enforced. PPE is going to be a big focus going forward. Um, and I think a lot of clothing companies and other companies have definitely seen that and they've started marketing that way. And I think that that trendy aspect that they're applying to the masks is also going to push the fact that masks might become more of a necessity going forward maybe not as much as they are now um Mm -hmm. but i think Mm -hmm. no matter what they are a part of our future um no matter what yeah Uh, the big thing though of course on the on the table is the economy the global economy the 
U.S. economy, state economy, city economies, um, you know, every little tier of the economy is, um, you know, it's no lie that cities are hurting right now, that states are hurting right now. Um, you know, places are losing money, businesses are closing up shop. Uh, it's definitely sad to see. I think that, um, and I'm probably going to get some heat on this one, but I think that had more people embraced the idea of a lockdown, nobody in particular, but more people embraced the idea of a lockdown early on in this, it would have mitigated a lot of the damage we've seen now to the economy and to just people in general. Mm -hmm. Um, I think we could have prevented a significant amount of the fallout that we're experiencing now and that we will continue to experience. So I guess that's my real big take on it. Had we experienced a, a major lockdown and had we, gone into that more more hopeful had we gone into that process more willing um, I think we'd be seeing a completely different United States and a completely different world today um, than we would have you know 10 mm -hmm. months ago when it was first proposed I believe in the US mm. but that is my big take on that one now, now what would have that have looked like like would it have been like mandatory would there still be like essential businesses open like what like like what kind of like what would you what would that look like like ideally in your eyes ideally in my eyes um we the three of us would not have been happy having worked at an e-commerce grocery store because <laughs> ideally in my eyes however much it hurts me to say it as someone who has suffered through the the craziness of coronavirus with you guys and you guys know mm -hmm. we were in the trenches yep. ideally in my eyes we would not have had customers in the stores we would have done more hiring we mm -hmm. would have done better training um, and we would have been entirely for the duration of the lockdown um, which would have hopefully been short i can't speak to how long it would have been because obviously some there's some you know interested play to whether or not the lockdown should last a certain amount of time um but at least in the terms of grocery stores, it would have been entirely e-commerce. Um, you know, it hurts me to say it, but uh, and I'm going to get heat, heat on this one too, but it hurts me to say it, but Jeff Bezos would have been even richer today than he is now, in my opinion, mm -hmm. because his business would have flourished without people being able to go out and shop because a right. lot of shops didn't want to close down initially. Um, and I'm talking like boutique shops, stuff like that. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, as a sort of left-leaning socialist there would have been more programs put in place to take care of some of these businesses that had to close their doors mm -hmm. um, you know i could have seen maybe keeping some of these smaller businesses open for pickup or delivery orders um things like favor would have been excelling obviously in this in this world that i'm imagining because we would have needed more drivers to go from one boutique to other places um I would have pushed for companies like Clorox and Lysol to just be rampant up production, producing as much as they possibly could. I think that there was an initial laugh off of the virus. Um, and even on my part, I, I, I'm comfortable to admit that initially on my part, I laughed this virus off. Mm -hmm. I didn't see it as much. Um, and I mm -hmm. think that a lot of big corporations like these sanitary products corporations and the corporations that manufacture, you know, personal protective equipment and, Etc. Etc. I think that they all were expecting quick blowover. It's basically the flu. That's what we were being told by by people right. at the CDC and the World Health Organization. We were told not to worry, and I think that was a dangerous precedent to set because it 
opened up the doors and paved the ways for where we are now. Absolutely. Now, like I was right in the same boat as you, you know, I was kind of laughing it off, um, you know, making jokes about it and everything. And a large part of the reason why I think that I did that. And I think that a lot of my friends and, you know, everyone else. And so we were kind of like, uh, we didn't take the lockdown too seriously initially was because originally, you know, I had heard about this virus, like back in December, whenever that, um, uh, whenever that Chinese health official like blew the whistle, then, you know, dies like mm-hmm. two weeks later. Um, you know, I'd heard about it then and uh, some media outlets, some independent outlets were like making a big fuss about it. But all of the, you know, trusted mainstream institutional, um, you know, media and stuff were like downplaying it. In fact, I retweeted um, it was from uh, January 15th. So just four days before we had our first confirmed death here in the United States, the WHO posted on Twitter that an initial um, investigation into Wuhan, China, found no evidence that it could be transmitted between person to person. And like that was right. January 15th. And this is also the same time that um, the administration in place, um, the Trump administration was trying to um, actually shut down international travel and they were calling him xenophobic for doing so and so i don't think he handled it well in terms of whatever he got a no from everyone around him he basically said okay screw it y'all are out y'all are to y'all's own devices you know um and that's part of you know him being you know narcissistic and whatever else you want to call it so but um would you say that had the media handled it a little bit more seriously and not kind of downplayed the virus, you, I, you and I, and maybe people like us would have been a little bit more ready and willing to maybe go into like a full lockdown for two weeks and actually comply. I think without a doubt, had they played it safe, had they not been so quick to laugh it off and write it off, I think that without a doubt, people my age and people your age and just people that were considered not the sensitive groups initially would have been more eager and more willing to embrace a lockdown situation. And it is my hope that, um, you know, it is sad to say it took so many people dying to get to this point, but it is my hope that going forward, these, these outlets will learn something from this and they will learn to report quick and accurate news as soon as it's reported from people like the whistleblower over in China, um, you know, Mm -hmm. it's my hope that these things will be taken more seriously going forward without a doubt, because Mm -hmm. I plan on working in healthcare one day. My fiance is going, my wife is going into healthcare. (laughs) My dad works in healthcare and he's in his sixties. I want the best for them. I want them to be able to stay safe. um, And I want them to be able to help other people stay safe. And so it's my hope that, media outlets will be more eager and willing to report on these things the way they should have initially Mm. to be able to foster a healthier environment nationwide and globally. Absolutely. And then even after we knew that it was an issue, um, it didn't help that they were like flip-flopping on masks and everything else. And and even on the vaccine now, it's like you're getting two different narratives and it's just, it's so hard to keep track of that. I think, you know, individuals like you and I, who, you know, we, we, and Tate, like, we don't have any say really, or any play on what's, uh, you know, what goes down or who controls what. And it's just like, 
look, I just need to find somebody to trust. Like, just just figure something out. I don't care if it's a lie. Just find something and stick with right. it. Right. So <laughs> be consistent in the way that you report things. Be consistent in what you're reporting. Um, right. You know, don't. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting is that we we've had enough wishy washy. I think that's even doesn't matter what generation that is watching the news outlets these days is that it, we, we just want something that we all can kind of come behind and move towards instead of feeling like we're like divided towards something is that we feel like we're, again, we really just want um, something that we can all kind of get behind and move forward towards to do it as a nation. And it's just been, it's just been uh, a weird cycle of, I mean, this whole year has just been a strange, strange year in that regards of, again, who do you not just first listen to, but it seems like it doesn't matter sometimes who you listen to, you, you, you come out more confused than you do with more of a resolve. Right. No, absolutely. Yeah, you're getting mixed signals from all over the place. Mm-hmm. Um, you're getting mixed signals from one source. Uh, it doesn't help anything. It doesn't mm-hmm. help the climate whatsoever. Yeah. All right. I mean, I know for a fact that as far as the masks go, the CDC initially reported that they were futile. Um, they reported <laughs> that it protected others, and they went back on that, and then they're back on protecting others. And now they're saying it not only protects others, but it protects yourself to a certain extent as well, mm-hmm. depending on the quality. It's like, I mean, shouldn't we just say, I mean, we know, we know um, that surgical masks are worn during surgery to prevent infection of who you're working on. Mm -hmm. Why wouldn't that be the case with this either? You know, Mm -hmm. it was the same thing when they told us to wear wet cloths during polio and smallpox. It seems like it'd be consistent. Why do you have to go back and forth? You know, do you not know if it's contact spread? Do you not know if it's airborne? Um, Maybe you should do some more research and force this lockdown and then tell us how to interact with other people in a safer way. And I think that was one of the big fallbacks of the way that things were taken care of initially and then and then in the months that follow. Mm -hmm. Now, it is currently uh, January 19th, um, the last day of the Trump presidency. So I would like to hear some of your takes from the Trump presidency. And some of your takes on Biden, who will be going into office tomorrow. Granted that he doesn't kick the bucket before he before he gets sworn in. Yeah, um, man, I gotta tell you, um, I have been a big critic and opponent of not just Donald Trump, but some of the other senators and representatives that have been put in place in the last four years, trustees, members of the boards, VPs of such and such, you know, education, um, the EPA, I can't stand Rick Perry, Um, you know, different levels like that. I've been a big critic. Uh, I've definitely held people to their word, but it's not just him. It's Mm -hmm. been a lot of these, these big establishment Democrats you're seeing, um, and it, it hurt me a little bit to watch the DNC do what they did to my chosen, um, the person I voted for in both primaries, um, to kind of belittle his message, to kind of belittle what he was trying to do for people. Mm-hmm. Um, it's of course, Senator Bernie Sanders from Vermont. It hurt me to see what they did to him twice. I was definitely less shocked the second time around after experiencing what happened with Debbie Wasserman Schultz and the DNC the first go around in 2016. And the whole Clinton-Sanders fiasco, um, another person that I criticize very highly is, is Hillary and Bill Clinton. 
never been a big fan of the Clintons. Um, never been a big fan of the administrations. Um, mm-hmm. I think that they are, and it hurts me to say this, they're on the same level as the, the incoming administration. Um, you know, Joe Biden is a moderate establishment Democrat. Uh, he's already stated that he does not plan on lifting Trump's travel ban. Um, that was as of yesterday that he stated he does not plan on lifting Trump's travel, the, the minimal travel ban that Trump has forced into signing um, after getting the blowback that he got on the initial travel ban that he had made where nobody was coming in. Um, Joe Biden has already made it clear that he does not plan on lifting that travel ban. And I have to, I, I hate to admit that you're not seeing the same reaction um, mm. from some of the same people that you saw when it was enacted by the outgoing administration. Mm-hmm. Um and that's just proof that it is a fad nowadays to support the Democratic Party, um, in my opinion. I think that there are shortcomings with both parties. I am more of a Democrat than a conservative, if I'm being honest with you. More of a Democrat than a Republican, sorry, if I'm being honest with you. Um, but I am less of a Democrat and more of a progressive, independent, democratic socialist is the way I identify. Yeah. Um, and it's it's funny to have to say it that way um, because this this country is so hard for the two party system. They reject the idea that multiple political systems all have their faults and their their pros. They have their cons and their pros. Democratic mm-hmm. socialism, in my opinion, has a pro in the way that they see fund allocation and taking care of citizens. And um, you know, as someone who doesn't even qualify for some of those allocations anymore due to recent career changes, um, I'm still a fan of those things. Uh, you know, I, I still want to see my fellow man succeed, and that's where I see myself as a democratic socialist. Yeah. Um, and I know we're going to talk about it here in a little bit, but there are aspects of the conservative uh, policies that I, don't, that I don't quite see fault in. Um, maybe with a touch mm-hmm. of uh, progressivism in there, but um, there still are things that I support that are a little more conservative. One of which being the biggest constitutional constitutional right that um, conservatives are definitely most proud of, and that I myself, as a Texan, um, definitely support. Uh, but we can get into that a little bit later. Um, <laughs> yeah, you know, I have critiques about both administrations. Um, yeah. if I'm being honest, it's it's about a 40, 60 percent less favorable towards the Trump administration, forty percent less favorable towards the Biden administration. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not happy with either situation. I think that this country could do better. Uh, I think that the American people have, have been let down by the powers that are at play, um, and it hurts yep. to see, but I just hope that the people that have been wronged who are still in play, uh, as some some people may know, Bernie Sanders is in play to be named the Senate Budget Chairman. Um, I think that's a, that's a smart, smart move. Um, and I'm intrigued to see what he's able to get done in that role, but I don't think there's enough happening in the cabinet yeah. that we're seeing being shaped out by the incoming administration for any change that I am a fan of to be put in play. Yeah, I mean, he basically filled up his entire cabinet with you know big tech and you know these big corporations who will mm-hmm. are definitely lobbying, no doubt. But um, no. so I mean, yeah, he's just basically gonna it's back to status quo as opposed to the throwing the wrench in the machine that was Mm -hmm. Donald Trump. Now, um, one of my buddies actually, I think, pretty accurately described my feelings toward Donald Trump. um, You you know what a 
quantum uh, a quantum superposition is, right? You might have to walk me through that one. I'm not gonna lie. Okay, so basically, it's the ability for an atom or a you know a a, a particle to mm-hmm. exist in multiple states at the same time until it is measured. Gotcha. And it's kind of like, um, you know, that double slit experiment and stuff like that, where the, yes. it's a wave. Yeah, the atom versus the, par- the right. wave versus the particles. Yeah, it's a wave until it until it collapses into um, a particle. Well, right. the superposition is that place where it's not yet observed. And so uh, he kind of described Trump's presidency as both the best and the worst presidency in a superposition. And what he meant by this was, one, he was like, he was the only president to, um, you know, uh, not get into any new conflicts. He signed more peace deals than anyone, anyone else. He did some great things for, uh, some great things for the economy. Um, you know, the average uh, wage of a worker went up and um, most small and local businesses were able to, you know, hire more people and get more um, get more business flowing and stuff like that. Now, whether or not you see those as good things, I mean, that it, that's up for debate. But not only that, some of the other th- good things that he did was actually bring up some issues that, you know, the institutions kind of keep gated and try all of their effort on not talking about, like, uh, like immigration, like critical theory in, uh, in colleges and stuff like that, and all of these uh, different issues, which have, you know, some, th- they actually do have some credibility talking about them, but he put them in his own image and he made them super simple and way distorted from what they, like what the original critique should be and would be. He brought them to the limelight, but he didn't make the discussion any better. And by doing so, he made it even more polarizing than it was before. So that's where he was also, you know, with his rhetoric, probably the worst president, um, you know, in history. And it didn't help that the, I would say that the media was kind of fueling this fire. And in, in my, uh, kind of, uh, my kind of take on this is that I don't think Donald Trump started it. Um, you know, looking back at history, you see how uh, li- like left-leaning liberals and um, the institutions just completely slaughtered um, Barry Goldwater in the media back in the 60s, which they did have some reasons to do so, but his the treatment for him was completely unfair. And this has kind of been a pattern um, for every single, you know, conservative Republican since. But most conservative Republicans you know, generally speaking, they're pretty lukewarm. You know, they're your Mitt Romneys, they're your George Bushes, and whatever else. And it was Donald Trump, for whatever reason, he appealed to a large portion. Like, he was able to actually gain momentum by, instead of, you know, dismissing this rhetoric that had been used and trying to cater to the left and to the Democrats, he actually used that weapon against them. So he was fighting fire with fire. What do you think about that assessment of it? Am, am I anywhere even close or am I just just completely off? <laughs> well, um, I would I would first posit that um, Donald Trump is not the worst president um, as King Andrew Jackson is responsible for the, the elimination of 50% of the Native American populace during his time in power. Mm-hmm. 
his his quote unquote reign as he liked to refer to it at the time. I'd say that Woodrow Wilson actually could probably one up him, but eh. I mean, yeah, no, uh, <laughs> anybody that definitely got involved in a major global political war, uh, anybody that wiped out a significant number of people, I would think would yeah. be worse than Donald Trump, in my opinion, right now. Um, mainly because I think, as far as the 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 fact that they try to tie the four hundred thousand dead Americans to him and him alone, um, I think that you know there are other people that share in the responsibility of that. Yeah. Um, there are other officials that definitely need to be if you're going to bring one person to trial over that I think that there's five to ten other people at least that need to be brought to trial on that but that's a whole other can of worms as far as anybody even considering bringing anybody to trial on a mm-hmm. virus running rampant through the country um, I think that falls on the general populace in my opinion but as far as Donald Trump um, I think that uh, he did something so when you look at the primaries back in 2016, um, you saw a very wide field become clear, especially halfway through, halfway towards the primary process to the end of the primary process, leading all the way up to the general. Um, you saw moderates uh, sitting in great positions, sitting in happy standings because you know people like to tow the party line when they vote, etc. Um, they have the same message every four years. Um, you know, conservative spending this, conservative this, um, you know, fiscal spending this, anything like that. And then you had one person on the far left come out uh, named Bernie Sanders out of Vermont. And then you had another person who started out with fairly traditional, consistent Republican views. But I think his publicist and the people that ran his campaign started to see what he was doing to a dangerous portion of the population. Um, if, mm-hmm. if I will, or not even dangerous, even just just a, a misheard and unheard population um, of the rural farmers, the blue collar workers, the the people that are often looked down on or overlooked in general in this country, and that mm-hmm. was Donald Trump. He started to appeal to their senses, and I think his campaign saw that, and they pushed speeches that appealed even more. Um, and I think that. The Republican Party was not ready for Donald Trump. Um, oh, yeah, no. The, if, the country was not ready for Donald Trump because he was, as you put it, he was a wrench in the works. Um, yeah. The, the RNC has been this just consistently well-oiled machine, running on the same stuff, pushing out the same products, running at the same level of consistency. Um, and then Donald Trump threw a wrench in, the, in that machine, and he changed the game. Um, he changed the game politically. He changed the game economically. He changed the game regardless of how you feel about him. He changed the game just as mm-hmm. I think Bernie Sanders would have changed the game because the DNC was doing the same thing. In my opinion, both parties are the same thing. They are one monster fighting against American people. Mm-hmm. Um, I couldn't agree with you more there. <laughs> yeah. You know, I don't think I don't think Donald Trump is the worst president ever. I don't think he's anywhere near the best, if you ask me. I think that, you know, he, he's, he's what, um, one in a, in a long line of presidents. Um, I, I don't even think that Barack Obama was the best president we had. He got us into some hot water during his time, but he's got a great speaking voice. He knows how to talk to the people, and he's got a great smile. Mm-hmm. Um, he had the electability of a John F. Kennedy. Um, mm-hmm. John F. Kennedy was the same way. He was a, he was the quote unquote president for the people, and he might have been the most pres- people oriented president 
but he did some questionable stuff in his time, but he knew how to smile, how to cloth his hair, and how to look good for the people and calm them down. Right. It's hard to say who is the best president, in my opinion, um, because each one has their strengths, but every single one of them has their faults right. um, throughout history. So yeah. as far as your analysis of Donald Trump, I think you are definitely entitled to your views on him. I think everybody's entitled to their views on him, uh, especially economically. I think that he's made some statements or even the lack of statements he's made on certain issues have hurt his image with a significant number of people. Without a doubt, yeah. He's either been too quiet on things or he hasn't been quiet enough on things. I think that it might not <laughs> just be him. That's a polite way to put it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think it might not just be him. Um, <laughs> like I said, you have to talk about the whole administration. You mm-hmm. can't just talk about one man because yeah, yeah. no matter what, at the end of the day, the president is a figurehead. They're a puppet, and there's dozens of other people in the background, you know, pulling the strings or putting their hand up and making them talk. Um, yeah. Maybe the president has certain views. Biden has made some very questionable comments in his time about super predators towards African-American youth in America. Um, he started the war on drugs, which, as we know, has had some ties to some, some racial tensions throughout the country. Um, mm-hmm. You know, he is no... A favorable person in my opinion uh, but I think that his campaign does a better job of managing him a little bit and that they don't let him talk that much <laughs> um, I think that I think that there was too much fostered in uh, Donald Trump's freedom to talk um, yeah. and I, I use the word freedom probably incorrectly I think they gave him <laughs> too long of a leash um, because they wanted him to go out there and make changes, but I think they gave him too long of a leash, and he started making too many changes. He started making too many statements or not enough statements, and uh, yeah. I think at the end of the day, that's what really hurt him um, when the ties shifted uh, back in 2020. Mm-hmm. I honestly think he might have gotten like demoralized, because the way that I look at it, any time that you have um, people that feel like they... Uh, would you say, would you agree that perhaps the media was probably a little bit unfair to Trump, um, just in terms of the fact that I don't, I don't remember seeing, at least in mainstream media, any positive press in his four years as president. I saw them like willfully misinterpreting some of the things he said and, um, taking it out of context Either that or just creating like straight up lies, like in terms of the Russian collusion and everything else that went on with that. Um, Like, what are your thoughts on that? Do you think that it was warranted or do you think that they the media is in part responsible for creating the beast that he did become? Um, You know, I I come from a camp that definitely was hurt by the mainstream media. you know, the New York Times uh, has and the Hill have interest in the Clinton Foundation. So in 2016, they sandbagged my my presidential candidate. Mm-hmm. Um, they did it again in 2020. They sandbagged him for Joe Biden. Um, I think that the mainstream media plays a dangerous role in politics today because they are the end-all, be-all, one-stop shop for people's information. Um, and I think that there's not enough people out there doing more research. But I think that the the American public and the mainstream media have kind of created that environment to where they don't want to do the research. They've made themselves mm. the quote unquote trustworthy source. 
Um, and that's where you start to see the issues that you're talking about. You see only negative press. You see, you know, maybe some false stories come out. You see, um, you see some opinion pieces be, be listed as fact. Um, you start to see that issue come out whenever you rely on one news source, whenever you rely on just the CNN, whenever you rely on just a Fox, whenever you rely on any of those, you're going to get one side of the story. <laughs> it's all good sorry my wife was she was out and i think she just came back oh you're good you're good i mean yeah you know like i said i think when you rely on one news source um you're bound to get that information and you're bound to see that that representation yeah for sure yeah so that actually leads like perfect into kind of what we were thinking about talking next which is like the media like a, like the way that you see media and like the big tech like how do you see the way coming forward in the next two three four years how again how do you want again our world to again use those in not just to you know repair the damages that we sometimes feel like we're we're seeing behind but even like how do you think that we can cultivate a good environment for media and like the, what we'd see as quote unquote, the big tech? Um, I think that, I think that there's an excellent opportunity for some, for some very smart minded individuals to, uh, compile and utilize the fostered, um, marketplace for app integrations into things like iOS and Android, mm-hmm. wherein you can create an environment, not necessarily a Wikipedia environment, but you can help to curate all of the news sources. And I'm constantly looking for a quality app like this. Um, I found it a little bit, but I'm still finding that I'm having to utilize different apps um, through the big tech market uh, to navigate the, the veritable ocean of stories coming out about anything that happened in this country. Um, mm-hmm. You know, you go back to James Harden. You have seven different sources <laughs> yeah. saying seven different things about right. him and his his relationship with places. Right now, I don't think that there is enough being done to mitigate the process. Because if you go to just ESPN, ESPN is going to tell you that James Harden's a punk. You go to Bleacher Report, which is even still an ESPN owned organization, but they're their own entity almost. They're going to tell you that he did the best thing for himself. Mm-hmm. They're going to tell you that it was the best play for anybody involved. Um, I think that big tech plays a big role in this, but I mm-hmm. don't think there's enough being done. And mm-hmm. I think there could be more. You know, we could we could see big organizations create the opportunity to help your average everyday person go to find their news and yeah. and be able and and report. Only accurate news. No more opinion pieces. I mean, I think opinion pieces and posting are a great way to get your information out there and how you feel. But I also think that they they get reported opinions get reported on a little too much compared to facts. Mm, for sure. And that's what we need to get get back to as far as media goes is reporting on the facts. You know, numbers, statistics. Um, well, you can't lie with statistics, but you know. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, try and get as accurate as you can. Yeah, yeah. Just do your information out there. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, I, I don't you mean. Yeah. Big tech should be playing a better role in doing that, but I think it's almost been utilized by these mainstream media sources 
to their benefit to make it look like they're doing that for you. When the fact of the fact is that they're going to report their interests. CNN mm-hmm. is going to report Disney's interests because they are owned by Disney. Mm-hmm. Fox is going to report. I mean, I, I can't believe I have to say it. Fox is going to report Disney's interests because they're owned by Disney. Um, you know, both of these news cycles, though, have two biased opinions about people and things. And so they're going to report their own takes on it. But there's one major, there's one conglomerate overseeing this. And I think that's another dangerous aspect is that there's too few people that own the news nowadays. Mm. Um, I think there's like six that own all of the mainstream institutions. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then even then they're going and buying up all these little independent news sites, these little papers and all that stuff, these newsletters. They're doing what they can to be the one-stop shop for news. And that creates a very dangerous environment. It it, it helps foster things like what you saw on the U.S. Capitol. Mm -hmm. It helps foster things with the, you know, the whole Antifa thing um, that Mm -hmm. breeds those situations. Um, So I think the big tech is being used in the wrong way. But I think that there is an opportunity still to use it the right way again for American citizens. So what do you think about them censoring Donald Trump and removing Parler (laughs) from the App Store? Just out of curiosity. Let's hear your Um, take on that. So my whole take is that, and and so even the CEO of Twitter was interviewed about this, Mm -hmm. uh, about what happened. Jack was interviewed and he was quoted saying that he thinks it was the right thing to do as far as suspending his account. But he also thinks it sets a dangerous precedent. Um, In my opinion, and I know I'm going to get heat for this, but I think I have to agree. Um, Hey, hey, hush, 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 um, that's, that's the sound of a full house. Dude, it is. Hey, hey, hey. You need me to hold you? Come here. Let me hold you. Here's the Okay, so, yeah, going back. Um, nice transfer. Um, I think that it's hard to say, but I think I have to agree. Um, I think that when you enter, when you sign up for an account as a social media site, you sign a terms and conditions virtually. You mm-hmm. sign a contract to basically act the way that they deem they they deem responsible. Um, mm-hmm. But now you're in a field where what can you deem as responsible? When are you going to start shutting down the far left? When are you going to start shutting down the moderates if you become a far left site, or vice versa, the opposite end of the spectrum? You know. Mm-hmm. I think that it was potentially the right thing to do, but I think it sets a dangerous precedent. And I think if anything, it could potentially incite more of what we saw at the Capitol. I think people are going to be even more outraged to find out that they've lost one platform to talk about their issues on, and they've lost a figurehead on a major platform. Um, That's my whole takeaway on it. Well, yeah, I couldn't agree more because in that same night that they banned Trump, there's this... um, there's this left-wing podcast that I also like listening to, and they're kind of more the Bill Maher kind of anti-woke, if you will, 
Um, so they're like they're they're definitely liberals, both in the social and fiscal respects. But they're they're anti woke and more open dialogue, like with you know with everybody. But they got shut down as well, which I was really surprised by. And they didn't have any, you know, there was, it didn't say any reasons. And from everything that I'd seen from the Twitter account, there was nothing even nearly as inflammatory coming from, you know, the administration, you know, the Trump's administration or anything. And yet they get shut down as well. And they got suspended permanently. And so, um, yeah, this is the Red Scare podcast. So you can go and check them out as well. Um, they have no clue who I am, but you know, <laughs> give it time, give it yeah, time. Give it time. Yeah. Building, building podcasts here, building, building the future. But yeah. So yeah, no, that was, de- that was definitely my kind of concern because I know that historically speaking, anytime that, um, one kind of organization decided it was the arbiter of truth, um, that they decided what was um, acceptable and not acceptable speech, um, and they started shutting down voices. Um, most of the time, those voices become violent. And you saw this first with Antifa over the past four years starting to infiltrate, um, you know, good and peaceful protests. And then now you're seeing this with... Um, I mean, you kind of already saw this on the very fringe right wing, but I'm kind of concerned because I know that um, a lot of my conservative friends are legitimately concerned about, you know, losing their voice and losing their platforms. And uh, on these, you know, media companies that are monopolies and that are basically public utilities at this point. And, you know, they have or Twitter has no problem letting the Ayatollah of Iran who says to death who says death to Jews on Twitter, which sounds to me like advocating for violence, Absolutely. but they're not allowing the president of the free you know, the the leader of the free world to bitch and moan and complain about losing the election is the way that I see it. So I mean, while it's true, like I I, I don't think that Trump incited what happened at the Capitol. He said it in his speech beforehand, before they went on their little march, he said, be peaceful. He said it during, he tweeted out, he said, be peaceful, respect your police. He said it after, he's like, I told you to be peaceful. He did, of course, say, we love you, which he shouldn't have done. He, you know, all of these things can be kind of true simultaneously. He didn't handle it well. He hasn't been handling himself since before the election, like since the election. Honestly, he hasn't really been handling himself well all four years, but the double standard, I think, is mainly what conservatives are concerned about. Not only the double standard, but who are they going to come after next, if that makes sense. No, I mean, I have to agree there, too, with the conservative viewpoint on that one. Um, It is ridiculous to me that you have other accounts that are tweeting all out flat just, just flat out violence. Yeah. The Ayatollah is a verified account with like millions of followers right out of Iran. Yeah. 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 You've got that. But then um, I saw something interesting the other day because, as you guys know, yesterday was Martin Luther King Jr. Day. Um, mm-hmm. There was a major, almost uh, satire Twitter account that was verified. Uh, it was Jabuki um, on Martin Luther King Jr. Day, I believe the year before, 
they had changed their profile, except for, of course, the at to match the FBI Twitter account. And um, they tweeted something that said, just because we killed the guy doesn't mean we can't celebrate him. <laughs> they lost their account. Yeah. They were suspended without any chance of ever recovering their followers or mm-hmm. their following. They had to start from scratch again. And I think that sets a dangerous precedent. Um, yeah. You know, because you do have people like the Ayatollah uh, who are saying these things and, and nobody's doing anything about it because they're quote unquote protected by diplomatic whatever, whatever kind of BS they can come up with on that. Well, it's, they have complete rights to. They have complete right to ban him. They just have chosen yeah. not to. So, which is ridiculous to me. And I think that if they're going to ban one leader for far less, far less hateful statements, why wouldn't they get rid of another guy? Mm-hmm. I think that. I think that there are going to be studies into this in years to come that are going to be very interesting to, to look at because mm-hmm. it does set a dangerous precedent. I do have to agree with the CEO himself who agreed with the action, but mm-hmm. is nervous about what could come of this now. Mm-hmm. Who's next? Who could or could not be banned? Who could buy out their interests in Twitter to be able to make sure they're allowed to continue to say the things that they say, regardless of how bad they get. You know, it, it just, it sets a very interestingly dangerous precedent without a doubt. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And um, so I think that we were able to find something to agree on there. Um, so you want to talk about guns? <laughs> I would love to. This is actually what I was referencing earlier. Uh, yeah, yeah. I got I got the hint, but yeah, it's we're an hour and 15 in, and I think now is a great time to talk about that. Because, um, yeah. I mean, based on what I had, what I have known about you and what I've talked to you about, um, you know, not only at work, but just recently on the phone, I actually, for whatever reason, I thought that you were like more pro gun control, maybe not necessarily like ban all guns, but right. definitely more, uh, like pretty far left on that. But yeah, no, enlighten us. Where are you actually, where do you actually reside? So, uh, I am pro second amendment. I think that every man and woman in this United States of America was endowed with the unalienable rights to protect themselves, to carry a firearm, both on their person, um, especially in their home, especially Mm -hmm. in their car, to protect Mm -hmm. their property and their family. Uh, It's a fact. I do have to agree, and it pains me to say that I agree with this man, but I have to agree with the assault rifle ban that Bill Clinton put into place back in the 90s. But I think that there are dangerous people like Beto O'Rourke made statements during his primary uh, run in 2020 that he said yeah you're right we want to come for all your guns we're going to take them that is a dangerous thing to say in this country oh yeah Um, that definitely is what ended up earning him dropping out i think that he hurt himself ridiculously on that and then of course on his war tax that he put he was talking about where he was going to be taxing families of people without relatives in the military during uh, war times Um, that was dangerous uh, because people are such big opponents of the defense budget, the defense spending. Um, and then he also wanted to go ahead and take their guns away, which I think is crazy. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm a fan of guns. I think that they are, I think that they belong in the right hands. Uh, I believe that people can be taught to handle them safely. And if they mm-hmm. can't be taught to handle them safely, then maybe they shouldn't have them. Right. But I think that people do have a right to the opportunity to own a firearm, to know how to use it, and to protect themselves and their family and their property. 
Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Couldn't agree with you more. I mean, one of the things that I would, you know, actually kind of not mind is um, I know that right now, one of the big reasons why you're actually seeing like, you know, just as recently as, well, uh, the the most recent one that comes to mind, at least the most major one that comes to mind is in Parkland, mm-hmm. is that there are actually these uh, restrictions on mental health evaluations and stuff like that. And so the guy who sold him the gun had no clue that he had you know, been in and out of mental institutions that he was mentally unstable or anything like that. Like on his, on his background check, it showed up completely clean because anytime that he did go, um, or anytime that he did go to juvie or get arrested or anything like that, it had been whenever he was a minor. So whenever he was 18, he had a fresh slate that nothing showed up on his background check. And so the guy sold him the gun the same day. Is that the, is that the, the, the guy who was selling the guns fault? Absolutely not. But there should definitely be like, you know, at least a little bit more coordination between mental health and those sort of things. Now, I know a lot of people say, oh, well, that's dangerous. Well, I'm like, ah, if if someone is mentally unstable, like, I mean, I'm sorry, but they might be a great person and everything, but it probably would not be in their best interest or everyone else's best interest to, you know, sell them a firearm at least in a shop now if someone else like a family member or whatever decides to give them one then they should probably have responsibility for any actions that they take with that right. with that firearm so that's just my personal take i think that um, we need to start ta- doing more frequent mental health checks uh, those things need to be taken into consideration when purchasing a gun mm-hmm. and maintaining a uh, ltc a license to carry um I am a big fan of abolishing the uh, private gun sales online and like on gun websites because you know those things don't get registered most often. Mm-hmm. I think that those create dangerous opportunities for the wrong guys to get the right weapon in their hands to do the most damage. Um, and I think that there should be possibly maybe even just a slight increase on the cost of ammunition um, just to help mitigate the people, the, the quote unquote punishers out there who want to build an arsenal and use it. Um, I have, you know, neighbors or had neighbors, uh, ex-Marine, great guy, real nice. Um, actually he was kind of a dick, but <laughs> outside of that, he, he was honestly not a bad dude, took care of people, took care of his neighbors. Um, he had an MG 34, uh, machine gun and a gun safe in his house. He had um, all these automatic weapons that he was able to get because at the time, uh, you know, they were saying that military personnel and veterans had an increased allowance of the type of firearm they were allowed to have. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that was a dangerous person to give those things to because he could become a little unhinged whenever he drank. That's something that I think should be taken into consideration whether you're selling a personal firearm. Um, I would, you know, I don't own a firearm right now, but I plan on buying one, and I would be more than happy to subject myself to a mental health check and a screening, and if that deems me unworthy of owning a firearm in my home, I would abide by it. I'd say, you know what? Fair call. If you think that it's not safe, then it's not safe. Maybe we could do another check in another year or two. We could try this again. We'll see. Um, Yeah, I don't know. That's just my whole opinion on it. I think that you should be allowed to have one, but I think that you should be willing to subject yourself to some aspect of regulation yeah for sure 
So yet again, uh, another thing that we agree on. So I think that that's actually a, probably a good place to start wrapping up. But before we go, um, whether it be the Sorry You're Here podcast or whatever else that you have, um, just go over uh, some of your future goals and aspirations and then some people and things who inspire you and why. Uh, then free, feel free to just, you know, add anything else. Um, it's all up to you. You've got the floor for the next, I don't know, like 10 minutes. So you don't have to, you don't have to speak that long, but, you know, as long yeah. as you want to speak. And even if you um, have questions too for us on the other end or even – Oh, yeah. Our, yeah. Whether that's um, our viewers, uh, people that are with your podcast too, if you want to ask them any questions, it's one of those that we love um, having interaction not only with us but even just with the people that are around us too. So, Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, in terms of sorry you're here, uh, my hopes is just to be able to continue doing what I'm doing there, um, be able to have a couple of guests on, be able to have you guys on from time to time to discuss uh, big entertainment news and be happy to have you guys on, especially when it comes around time for the Super Bowl. Oh, yeah. Uh, I think that'd be a fun thing to get into, especially following the events. We could definitely talk about that a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, I look forward to more discussions like this. I think that these are really paving the way for growth in our country, the opportunity to discuss these things with other people. Um, mm. You might not always agree on, but at the end of the day, you do find yourself agreeing that you're both humans and you both have each other's, um, you know, best outcome in the heart. I mm-hmm. think that's, that's, that's when we can truly shine as Americans, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Um, as far as my biggest motivations, I would have to say without a doubt, my wife and my parents, um, you know, my wife, of course, being the person that pushes me every day and my parents setting the excellent examples that they set throughout their time working multiple jobs to take care of their kids, uh, to put each other through school, to help each other grow. Um, that's definitely something I like to model my own relationship after now is just, you know, self-sacrifice for the, in the end, uh, growth as, as a whole and as a mm-hmm. unit. Um, I think those are my biggest things. Um, as far as any questions for you guys, you know, I, I would, not necessarily a question, but just kind of an open invitation. I would be happy to come back on. We could talk about more things that happen. I know that my podcast tends to be, uh, you, well, you know, the rootkit tends to be a lot more of critical thinking, a lot more of uh, introspection, a lot more of growth, a lot more of the deeper things that people don't, wouldn't necessarily come to my end for. You know, I try to be mm-hmm. less political as often as I can, um, be as hopeful as I can for the future. Mm-hmm. distract people from some of the worst things that are happening and bring a light but i think that you know working together today and in the future i think that we could do that for each other um for both audiences and oh yeah i think you know i would love to come on here have these tougher conversations i'd love for you guys to come over there um have the tough conversations there as well um you know i think that this was an excellent opportunity and i think that it opens up the door to other great opportunities for both of us yeah, absolutely. And we will definitely be having you on. I know today we kind of like briefly touched on, um, you know, just a couple different things in terms of politics, but we didn't really get into any like one topic too in depth. And we kind of did that on purpose, um, you know, mm-hmm. just kind of as like, uh, you know, just a kind of soft feeler for the conversations to come. I know that uh, we can definitely coordinate later uh, if if we definitely want to. Um, you know, get any, get any deeper into anything, and right. absolutely, we'd love to uh, come onto your podcast um, as well. It would and be discuss. fun to have you guys on to talk about uh, when the Bills lose to Kansas City next week. Mm-hmm. Oh, you mean when they win? Yeah, uh, yeah. Uh huh. Uh huh. Uh huh. Yeah, no. Um, yeah, no. Uh, 
Josh Allen and Cole Beasley have my back, so. Yeah, well, I've uh, I've got a firm belief that Pat Mahomes will make it in, and if not, I think that hashtag anything yeah. is possible at this point. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. I like a good one. I like Pat Mahomes. I hate the Kansas City Chiefs. So, <laughs> oh, man, dude, the there you G- go. again, Reed though, man, that guy for his age to do what he's been doing, that guy is a genius. Oh yeah, no, he's, he's incredible. Hell of a head coach. Hell of a yeah, head coach. Yeah, he Without a doubt. Yeah. But even like some of the other things, like Lamelo Ball. Uh, him oh, doing the, the triple ball, double, dynasty. Oh, dude, my goodness! Like, who would have thunk that that kid came on like he did? I mean, just there's so many things that I'm excited about talking about. I mean, it's just there's oh, yeah. so many fun things in the next, even like next two three months that they could be to look forward to with movies. And I, I know you you mentioned the Marvel universe taking mm-hmm. off again. I mean, like we're we have been uh, starved of some good entertainment over the last uh, few months Absolutely. in 2020. Yeah. So, and also. Paul, do you by any chance get into any baseball? Because we're all talking a lot of football. I don't know a whole lot about football. <laughs> I'm more into the baseball end, but uh So we had some big news come out of the Mets front office. The GM recently uh left Chicago, one of uh-huh. the teams. Um, Ooh. he came forward and confirmed the allegations that he used his position of power um to kind of solicit explicit images and messages from women. Oh, uh, damn. Which is some negative press for Chicago, although they did let him go. Um, so, you know, still waiting to see the fallout from that. Another big thing in Cubs uh, news is that you Darvish, the big pitcher that they spent all that money on, mm-hmm. who ended up sitting out two seasons, is no longer with Chicago. Uh, I, I have to check again, but I believe he is chilling with the with the Phillies now, if I'm not yeah. mistaken. I believe he's chilling with the um, Man, I'm telling you, the cold weather treats him so much better than Texas did. Like, I saw oh, some yeah. of the stuff that he's doing with both with uh, Chicago, and I think he was with the Cubs before then. It's just like, come on, like, why couldn't you perform like that with Texas? Like, mm-hmm. uh, but it is what it is. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I think he's one of those uh, one of those pitchers who had his Tommy John surgery, and, and unfortunately went the other way. Um, he ended up having to sit out two seasons after that big. He threw an amazing, just gorgeous textbook viewing fastball. Excellent curve. Uh, I think it was 78 miles per hour out of the uh, out of the glove. Um, return was like 120, I believe. Um, and he ended up tearing, you know, the ligament in there in his elbow and then had to go for Tommy John. He was out for the rest of the season. That was, of course, right at the start of his first season with Chicago. Mm-hmm. He was out for most of the next season and then his arm just hasn't been the same since. Um, oh, damn. But I'm interested to see what happens. It was very similar, in my opinion, to what happened with Brock Osweiler that over at mm-hmm. the Denver Broncos following Peyton Manning retirements. Um, they invested $80 million into the guy, and he ended up riding the bench for two seasons. So, <laughs> yeah. 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 Feels bad, man. Yeah. Yeah, it was bad. But, um, yeah, no, I look forward to talking sports with you guys, talking movies with you guys. I think, uh, I think it's a great opportunity. Mm-hmm. For sure. All right. Well, uh, where can people reach you at? Uh, you can find my podcast uh, if you want to listen to it. I'm on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Anchor FM, some of the smaller podcasting sites. Currently, you can find me up on Twitter at at SYH Podcast. Um, SYH for sorry you're here. Uh, I am in the process of building out a Facebook page right now and a new mm-hmm. Instagram page to uh, get more into things, talk about, talk to you guys about the process of building out my home office to foster a more podcasty environment, hopefully mm-hmm. soundproofing this room soon. Um, 
But uh, yeah, yeah, I, I plan on expanding. But as of right now, the best place to find me is on Twitter at SYH Podcast. All right. Well, thanks again there, Paul. Um, again, coming in and even just having a conversation like this, I think our generation longs for this. And so thanks again. We appreciate you very much. And uh, again, good luck on your journey. And we'll be seeing you over at your place, uh, your podcast here soon. Awesome. Yeah. yeah, thank you guys very much. Uh, it was a lot of fun. I look forward to further discussion with y'all. It was great. All right.